So as I was preparing for tonight, I really, I wanted to do like a Thanksgiving service because it is November. But God kept bringing me back to a topic which so often happens. So I'd like to start tonight by telling you, I remember the very first time one of my friends came to me with a tragedy. And I didn't have a good answer. Now, I'd had my own tragedy. I'd wrestled. I'd had my own theodicy, the goodness of God. I've had my own debate in my own head, you know, because I had some intense things happen to me when I was younger. But this was the first time someone came to me, and I felt like I really kind of failed them in my response. And I was, I was probably, this might have been my junior year of college. And one of my really good friends, who had been one of my good friends since childhood, had a horrible thing happen in her life. She had met and fallen in love with the man of her dreams. They had all these plans to get married, have kids. They had planned their life together. She thought, this was the one God had for me. And one very sad day, he was actually killed. He was on his motorcycle, and he was hit by a car. And he died, died instantly. And when something like that happens, it's just hard to wrap your mind around that, right? Like, why? Why, God? Why? And my friend was in, I mean, she, probably a depression, for a while, she didn't want to come out. She didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to, you know, be on the phone. It's, it's hard to know how to give support to someone in that position. But I remember the first time after that, we went out to dinner. And we were sitting there, and she said, I just, I just can't figure out guy, why God would let this happen. And I looked at her, and I said, I know God is good. I know he is. And I'm pretty sure his heart's breaking because your heart's breaking. Like, but I, I don't know why he didn't swoop down and stop that car. I don't know why he didn't miraculously raise him from the dead. I don't know why. I have no idea. And I just sat with her and I listened. And I tell you, you know, have you ever had one of those conversations, like whether you've done something really stupid or embarrassing that just replay periodically in your head? Does anybody else have that? <laughs> this moment replayed in my head for years because I'm like, I needed to have a better answer. Why, why didn't I say something super encouraging? How I, I just completely failed her. I didn't spin it into a positive. I just what, you know, what was I supposed to do? And it would replay in my mind as one of my failures for a long, long time. And throughout my life, you know, I've personally had many situations like that where it's just rough. I had, you know, early on, I was a teenager in my volleyball career. I was, I was an amazing volleyball player, tore my ACL. My career was cut short. That was really hard for me. I mean, that was a game changer. It was an identity changer. It was a big problem. I've, I watched one of my very best friends in the world slowly die of ALS. It was awful, right? Like you don't even have words to express 
that. And throughout my life, I've also had lots of conversations with people that have been in just horribly tragic situations, whether it's, you know, cancer or something else. And it just seems like, it seems like I'm seeing that more and more lately. Is that just me? Does anybody else feel that way? Like you're just seeing tragedy more and more and more. And like something's got to give, right? Like what's going on? And to be just perfectly honest with you, my heart has been super heavy lately. The world has felt heavy, hasn't it? You know, I, I read that news report of the elite female volleyball player in Afghanistan and the Taliban is hunting them down and beheading them. And that was about more than I could handle. You know, like, that's awful. That's awful. There's no other word for that, right? There's, that's just horrible. Pastor Josh did a funeral today for the second stillborn baby we've known of in the last couple weeks. Like, that's awful. How do, you, how do you even address that with the family? How do you, you know, it's just so incredibly tragic. And frankly, it's overwhelming. Right? When you look around and you see things that are that awful, it is completely overwhelming. And it's hard to know how to cope with that. Right? So as I was reflecting on that the other day and just feeling that weight, that first story came back to my mind about my friend. And that conversation that replayed in my mind over and over and over. And it finally dawned on me that maybe I didn't fail. Maybe that was the right response. Maybe I was supposed to just sit there and be with her and say, I know God's good. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I know he loves you. I know he's good. I'm so sorry. You know, let me, let me sit here and carry that with you. I think sometimes we get the message as Christians that it's not okay to be unhappy that it's not okay to ever be sad or to have struggles. And we've come up with different things that we say that's supposed to, like, snap people out of it, right? Like, one of them might be, um, well, when God closes the door, he opens a window. <laughs> what? Like, what, does that, what does that even mean? Right? Or, you know, sometimes we say, well, don't forget God will never give you more than you can bear, right? And somehow we just have been conditioned that we have to be shiny, happy people all the time. When that just, that's not reality, is it? And I think sometimes we've forgotten that there's an entire book of the Bible that is based on lament. We don't have to be shiny, happy people. Like we've been conditioned to be. We should be able to be real with each other. Right? So that's what, that's what I feel led to talk about today. In particular, that phrase, um, God never gives you more than you can bear. I want to talk about, is that true? What does the Bible say about that? And what actually is the godly response? When the world is overwhelming, when someone is going through something that no one should have to bear, what is the godly response to that? So I'd like to start 
um, by looking at 1 Corinthians 10.13, because most likely this is the verse that that saying comes from, and it's a bit of a manipulation of the scripture. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 starts out, if you actually, if you go and you read the chapter and you start at the beginning, it's talking about the Israelites walking around in the wilderness. And do you remember what happened? You know, Moses went up on the mountain, took a long time, and they all started partying and worshiping like golden idols and having drunken orgies and doing all this sinful stuff. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 is actually talking about. They're like, hey, we got to avoid the sin that entangled, you know, the Israelites during that time. The temptation here is the temptation of sin. And when you feel tempted to sin, look around. God gave you the way out. That's what this verse is saying. Temptation is not referring to cancer. No one's tempted to want cancer. Death of a loved one, divorce, job loss, a two-year-long pandemic is not a temptation. Well, unless you're the one financially benefiting from it, but we'll, we'll leave that alone. When we say things like God won't give you more than you can handle or more than you can bear, I see three dominant lies in that that people will start to believe. So the first one is that God is the one bringing death and destruction. That's the first lie. The second lie is that it's up to us to survive these tests in our own strength that what matters is what I can bear. The third lie is that we're intended to fight alone. So I'd like to go through those together. Um, that first one was that God does not bring death and destruction. If you've been going to this church for very long, I'm sure you know that. But I'm going to go ahead and reiterate a few things. When we say things like, God won't give you more than you can bear, people mistakenly think horrible situations are coming from God as some kind of divine test. We know that's not true. We know that it comes from the devil. Sometimes our own stupidity, but usually the devil, right? John 10.10 says it is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We frankly need to stop giving God credit for the accomplishments of the devil and our own stupidity. If I smoke a pack a day and get lung cancer, or if I gamble and I wind up broke, those are natural conclusions of my own stupidity, right? Frankly, those probably fall under the temptation verse that God gave me a way out of in the first place. That's not something God sent. That's not a punishment from God. God didn't kill either of those stillborn babies or give someone's mom cancer, or make your kid run away, or inspire the Taliban 
God didn't do that. God certainly didn't need another flower in his garden or another angel. It's just, it's just not true. These horrible things that happen are cruel, sick realities of a fallen world, and it's awful. It's not what God wants it to be. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In Romans 8, 35 to 37, I'm reading this in the ISV, says, who will separate us from the Messiah's love? Can trouble, distress, persecution, hunger, nakedness, danger, or a violent death do this? As it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are thought of as sheep headed for slaughter. Clearly, he was expecting us to experience a few things, don't you think? <laughs> Verse 37 goes on to say, however, in these things we are triumphantly victorious due to the one who loved us. In John 15, 18, it says, the world hates you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I'm pretty sure none of this is a surprise to God. He knew. He knows. And he's with us. The Bible is full of people who have gone through just, like, incredible adversity. You know, Ruth lost her husband. She went through the death of a spouse. David was hunted by King Saul for years. For years. Can you imagine that? That's intense. Paul was whipped, stoned, beaten, imprisoned. I mean, he, he went through it, didn't he? God knew that the world wasn't going to be full of rainbows and butterflies for us. But he's given us everything we need to be successful, to make it through. The second lie was, it's about what we can bear, what we can handle. Frankly, if it were up to our human strength, we'd be doomed. We couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You know, I've gone through some major valleys. I've been on some major mountains. And if I'm being completely honest, if I'm being really, really honest with you guys, just putting this out there, okay? We're a blended family with six kids. I work full-time. We do ministry. Even if it were just the kids and those dynamics and schedules and sports, Y'all, my baseline is a little bit more than I can bear, to be honest with you. Like, most of my prayers start out, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this without you. You put in a crisis on top of that? My own strength isn't enough. I'd have cashed in my chips a long time ago. I'd be <laughs> done like dinner, you know? It's not about what we can handle. It's time that we start focusing not on what we can handle, but on what he can handle. And he's got big, broad shoulders. He's got the world in his hands. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, Lord, look, you made the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4 says, For the Lord your God will be with you, fighting on your behalf against your enemies in order to grant you victory. 
2 Timothy 1.7, this is in the Passion Translation, says, For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. Isaiah 40.29 says, He empowers the feeble and infuses the powerless with increasing strength. That's good. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not yield to fear, for I am always near. Never turn your gaze away from me, for I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. I will hold you firmly with my victorious right hand. That's a promise, you guys. That's a promise you can hold on to and stand on. It's not what I can handle. It's what he can handle, and he can handle anything. Absolutely anything. But we need to learn how to rely on God's strength instead of our own strength. Tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. We can supernaturally bear what would crush a human. But this is a learned skill. It doesn't come naturally to us. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment surrender and recommitting to God. Allowing ourselves to be his vessel of strength. Uh, one visual, I think, that pictures this really, really well is, is a rowboat. Has anyone ever rowed a boat? One hand. <laughs> I've rowed a boat. It's hard. Isn't it hard? And it gets windy and choppy, and it's really hard. And then actually you're like glancing behind you to see if you're going in the right direction. It's, it's not easy. And if you're picturing going across the sea, rowing and rowing, and the waves are getting choppy, and it's getting windy and stormy, and we're pushing and pushing, and I'm sweating, and my muscles are aching, I'm not getting very far going against the current. I'm not getting very far. But if I were in a sailboat and God and the Holy Spirit were the wind in my sails, I'm zooming across that lake, right? It's tapping in to that power of the Holy Spirit, resting in the strength that God provides. And then I can kind of just guide it a little bit be the rudder, put in a little effort, but I'm zooming. And that's just such a good visual to me of God's strength versus my strength. I could be putting in all the effort I want. I'm not getting very far until I tap into the true source. That third lie was that we're intended to fight alone, all by ourselves. I would argue that we're supposed to live in community with other people. That's really important that we tap into other believers. Galatians 6.2 says, Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. John 15.12 says, So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. And if you love someone, you're caring for them. You're caring about what's happening to them. You're 
walking with them. Romans 12, 13 says, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. Eagerly welcome guests into your home. We were really never meant to do life by ourselves. Humans aren't programmed that way. I mean, lots of research has backed that up. Humans are made for connection. They're made for friendship, relationship, living in community. You know, I I read research the other day that even talked about length of life and people who are connected to a group, a small group, even if it's a knitting club, those people are going to live longer because of the social connection. That's how God made us to thrive. I think it's so important that we surround ourselves with the right kind of people, the people who are going to put add wind to our sails and not deflate them. We're also supposed to do this with God. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the deep, stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. That's a promise, right? I will be with you. You can count on me to be with you. That's a promise. It makes me think about, I know we use this example all the time, but it is just so ripe with different ways to use it. But we talk about Peter walking on the water, right? We all know this story. We've talked about it many times. Peter steps out of the boat. Says, Jesus, tell me to come. Okay, I bid you. Okay. He's on the water. He is looking at Jesus. It wasn't until he took his focus from God to the storm that he started to sink. And this is what was revelatory to me. That we can walk on what other people would drown in if we keep our focus on God. It's a matter of focus. One thing I've learned throughout, throughout life is that when, when something difficult is going on, I, I don't know if you've ever called out to God like, hey, just take this from me. Take it, take it, take it. Make it stop, make it stop. I've, I've done that. I've done that more than once. But have you ever noticed God doesn't usually do that? It's not like, boop, gone. That problem, ah, gone. He doesn't usually take us out of it. But he walks with us through it. He helps us through. And in a lot of ways, that's actually better. But you think about verses like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because thou art with me. I think the one reason why God doesn't just pluck us out is that he sees, like, the rich training ground that it is. And I, I promise, I know that this is, this is not fun, but I promise that there is a real blessing in the valley. That's where we get strong. 
some of the most difficult times in my life have been when I've grown the most close to God, when I've really felt his presence, heard his voice, grown spiritually. Hasn't been when I've been the most successful. It's been when I'm like really going through it. And I think that's just such vital training ground for us as Christians. They say, I'm sure you've heard this saying before, that calm seas don't make skilled sailors. Do they? You know, we have a real enemy. And it takes some of these difficult things for us to know how to navigate it, for us to know how to partner with God, how to use his strength instead of my strength, how to operate supernaturally instead of naturally. So I don't want us to miss the blessing in the valley. Do you remember uh, when, when Paul was talking all crazy, like, hey, when you're weak, I'm strong, and everyone's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's in 2 Corinthians 12.10. It says, um, that is why I take such pleasure, pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and difficulties. Pleasure in difficulties. For the Messiah's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I want to go back a little bit and read this whole passage, but read it in the Passion Translation, because I think this gives us a much better picture of what he was talking about and going through. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. It says, The extraordinary level of the revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. This is Paul. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. <laughs> Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. But he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. You can tap into Christ's power. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. What's the point? So some people hear this, and some people actually teach this, that God gave Paul some kind of physical problem. Nobody really knows what he was talking about. Um, to keep him humble. But that's not really accurate. It's pretty clear in this verse that it was the devil's messenger harassing Paul. Now, let me tell you the truth. The closer you get to your purpose, the closer you get to doing the work of God, the more notice the devil takes and the more opposition you face. I mean, it's the truth. That's the way it is. All day today, I've had one of the worst headaches of my life. During praise and worship, I'm like, you know, I should probably just rebuke that, right? 
gone. Oh, maybe you should have done that earlier today. But the devil, he takes notice. And Paul, I mean, Paul was powerful, right? He, of course he's going to be harassing Paul. I actually use that as a gauge sometimes to know if I'm on the right track. How much opposition <laughs> am I facing today? Oh, must be doing something right. God didn't supernaturally pluck Paul out of adversary, out of adversity. But I'm sure he walked with him through it. That's God's MO. Is Paul saying that we should all be afflicted, that we should all have some disease, illness, disability to keep us humble? No, but I think he's making a super important point. Our human nature is that of control, striving, thinking maybe if we try to row a little bit harder, we'll find that success, we'll reach the goal. We slip into that really easily, at least I do, right? I surrender to God, I take control, I surrender to God, I take control. It's, it's human nature, right? It's a constant battle of surrender, surrender, surrender. And it is really hard to tap into God's supernatural strength when we're still holding on to the notion that we can maybe do this ourselves. It's really hard. It's really hard. And we inadvertently hinder God when we do that. Right? He should be flowing through us. We shouldn't be opposing him. Right? We need to tap into his strength instead of row our own boat. We need to be aware of how much we need God. We need to be able to submit to his authority. You know, if we're a person under authority, that gives us authority. But if we're off doing our own thing, if we're not under God's authority and we're just, we don't have the authority. Does that make sense? You have, when you're a person under authority, you stay under that authority. Then you can operate in that authority. If I step over here and I'm doing the Emily thing, I don't have the authority from God. I only have my own strength. And that's not going to work. My own strength isn't enough. I got to keep myself in God's authority, under God's authority, so I can flow in God's authority. Right? Essentially, I think a lot of times it's easier to look up and keep that focus on God when we're in the valley than when we're on the mountain. Things are going really well, right? So there is a blessing in that valley. It keeps us oriented. It keeps us dependent, realizing our humanness. And God's just amazingness. So what do we do? What do we do? I, I heard it said recently that um, people are either one of three things. They're either in a difficult time, just leaving a difficult time, or about to enter a difficult time. And I know that's a little bit depressing. I don't mean to be depressing. But it's a little bit true, right? We go through phases in our life. So what do we do? I mean, storms are coming. Storms are around us. We're seeing it every day. What do we do? So I have a few things um, that we can do. Number one, when you're in it and you're feeling like, man, this, pff, 
this might be more than I can bear. I'm in it. I'm feeling it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overbearing. Control, control, control. The first thing we need to do, I, I, I labeled it, start naming your monkeys. You guys have heard, uh, you've probably seen that meme, <laughs> that moment when you realize this is your circus and those are your monkeys, right? You've got to start naming your monkeys. I think as women, we really tend to take on more than is ours. We care, we worry. We take on the worries of our spouse, our children, our colleagues, our neighbors, the church, local politics, things happening halfway around the world. We take it all on. And pretty soon we're, oh, right, it's hard. We're overbearing. But when you actually name it, like, okay, what is this that's stressing me out? What is this problem? Give it a name. Call it what it is. The second thing we need to do is identify our God-given passion, gifting, and calling. Because if you feel the weight of something happening halfway around the world, I'm not saying that that doesn't involve you. I'm not saying to forget it because it's not your monkey. It might be your monkey. But it's understanding what God's purpose is for you in that. The whole thing isn't yours. It's defining your role. So one question I like to ask, if I'm feeling stressed out about something, I ask, what's the invitation here? Is it mine? Yes, no, maybe. What's my role? Do I have a God-given passion for this or am I just stressing out about it? And what's the invitation here? Is God inviting me to participate in some way? Maybe it's intercession. Maybe it's, you know, I financially donate to this cause. Maybe it's being involved in a local community or committee, trying to, like, influence my local community. Um, whatever it is, you need to identify the issue, name it, and then identify your role. What piece of it does God want you to influence? And by doing that, in my career, we'd call that narrowing the scope. Instead of this giant thing, it's a giant problem that I could never impact the Taliban beheading athletes. That's huge. I could never influence this giant political thing. But if I define the piece of it that I feel like God's calling me to, and then I further define my role, I've narrowed the scope of what I own. And that makes it feel a little bit less heavy when it's just your piece. So in March, you know, um, we have Jennifer Ivas coming to speak at our conference. And as I was driving over here, you guys, I, I did. I checked my phone on the way over here in the car. Don't tell my husband. But I saw she posted this, and it fit in really beautifully with what we're talking about tonight. She said, as intercessors and spiritually sensitive people, we need to be careful not to take on everyone's burden. Know what your assignment is. And I think that's so powerful. That's exactly it. We just get so overwhelmed when it's big. Is my role to, is this my fight? Is it God's fight? 
Sometimes we're fighting a battle that's not ours. And God says, stand back and see the victory of the Lord. Sometimes we're fighting a battle that is ours. And we need to co-labor with God. And we are called to be an intercessor. And we are called to do spiritual warfare. And we're called to co-labor. Maybe it's taking spiritual authority over my family. If I have a child that's run off and is a prodigal and is into all this stuff, as the mama, I have spiritual authority. That is my monkey. And I do have a big role in this. But it's defining that. Does that make sense? The last thing is to connect. Connect with other believers. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Like we said, we're not intended to do life alone, to walk through valleys alone, to grow, to even grow spiritually alone. You know, I dig into the research all the time. Spiritual growth happens through relationship. It's not individually, it's through relationship. Whether that's person to person, whether it's my relationship to my congregation, my small group, my women's group, it happens through relationship. It's critical that we plug in, that we not walk through these difficult times alone, that we support each other. So if you're here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit might be nudging me saying I'm doing this by myself. That's you, babe. You need a connection. You've been rowing your own boat for a really long time. You're like sweating. Your muscles are getting tired. Your, your fingers, I don't know if you've ever had this. You're holding on so tight. Your fingers are like shaking and white and they're wet and, and you're rowing and rowing and maybe, maybe your boat's taking on water. <laughs> If that's you, the invitation tonight is to connect. I want you to step out and connect with someone because it's important. We don't want you rowing by yourself. Nobody should be going through the storm by themselves. I know it feels risky, but I want you to step out. If you feel like you're led to a particular person, walk up to them. Say, my boat's taken on water. Can you help me row? And they'll all know what you mean. If you're like, wow, that's really weird and uncomfortable, but I still, I feel like I'm doing this on my own. Come talk to me, Helena. Come talk to somebody after service. We'll connect you with somebody. There's lots of people that need connection and support. You would be as much a blessing to someone else as as they are to you. Remember, it's not about saying the right cute Christian phrase. It's not about just snapping your fingers and making somebody feel better. Quick step out of it, smile. We gotta be shiny, happy people. It's not about that. It's about bearing each other's burdens and recognizing your role. Maybe your role is to help them narrow the scope of what's stressing them out. Where's the invitation? What part of this is your, your calling? What part of this do you own? 
Maybe your role is helping them to tap into, you know, God's sails and the wind of the Holy Spirit, and you're, like, directing them and just helping and encouraging and sitting and listening. Whatever it is, don't do it alone. Let's help each other out. I want to close by reading one more passage of Scripture. And as I read this, I want you to picture yourself in this promise. So one thing we do sometimes is we'll just like, I'll insert the name of one of my kids in a verse, like make it really personal. I want you to do this in your head as I'm reading it, because this is for you. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we have abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Lord, I lift up these ladies to you. We release our grip. We lay down our burdens, our troubles, our struggles. We lay it down. God, we want to be under your authority. We want to flow in your authority. We want to have your supernatural strength. God, we thank you that you walk with us through the valley, that you teach us, you guide us, you sharpen us. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would comfort those who need comfort and strengthen those who need strength. Lord, I ask that you give us exactly the words that need to be spoken. When someone comes to us in distress, in heartbreak, in trouble, that you would give us exactly the words, that we would open our mouth and you would fill them, fill our mouth with the exact word needed at that time for building up, encouraging, edification. God, we ask for divine connection. That you would bring us into relationship with those people who are going to strengthen our lives, build up our lives, encourage us. Be the person who walks with us spiritually and we can both grow together. Encourage each other. God, I pray for the relationships that will be formed. And we ask God that you just move mightily in these women, in this place, and in this church. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>